Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello, and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops, and I'm delighted to be joined this week by Alan Guild, who is the Director of Hilltop War Consulting. Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Galen. Thank you for having me on. To kick us off, you, since we last spoken, have started this consulting company. A lot of your focus is on helping firms kind of adapt to changes wrought by new regulations, requirements, et cetera, and some of the knock-on effects of that, things people haven't thought of. And that kind of builds on some of the work that I know you were doing in your previous role, but which was in the banking side. What I'm interested about is your background isn't legal, regulatory, or compliance. Right? You come from the, the FX side of things. So I'm kind of interested because you have a, a rather unique insight on things, I think. Do you think that the FX industry more generally would benefit from having practitioners leading the charge, so to speak, on adapting to some of these regulatory changes? So again, I'm not going to surprise you straight off the bat by saying yes to that. I think there are a number of reasons. So if you look at the FX market as a whole, particularly on the dealer side, You've got dealers who are operating as principal market makers, and therefore there are inherent potential conflicts of interest there between the dealer themselves and their clients or between client A and client B. And what we're seeing with things like the FX Global Code, obviously in particular, but regulators themselves, as well as practitioners looking at this and saying, actually, the way we want to navigate those potential conflicts of interest and the best way of navigating them isn't necessarily prescriptive regulation. It's about principles and giving people the tools and the mindset in order to manage those potential conflicts of interest in a fair and effective way. And to think about that, the legal and compliance colleagues that I've worked with very closely in terms of when I've worked in banks and when I work as a consultant now with our clients, similarly looking to partner closely with uh, the, the legal and compliance teams within the banks. But that practitioner lens in terms of actually understanding what the different drivers are to be able to understand that conflict of interest and also understand that in any kind of interaction, there are a couple of commercial drivers. The client needs to get a good outcome. And a good, good outcome isn't just in terms of price. It's obviously in terms of getting the risk clear that they need to clear in a, in a timely fashion and in a way that works for them. But on the market maker side, there is a need that I think everyone recognizes, but people have been understandably a little bit slow to talk about over the last few years, is that dealers need to make a reasonable commercial return as well. So yes, we want to have a construct that part comes from regulation, part comes from the, the principles that we see in the global code that gives us a fair and effective marketplace but you also need to make sure you've got good commercial outcomes, both from the end user of the financial product who has obviously their requirements, their need, be it, be it a hedging or investment requirement, and also for the dealer to be able to have a commercially successful business so that you have a sustainable marketplace going forward. And as I say, the legal and compliance view is invaluable, but you want to be focusing that through a practitioner lens to get to the best possible outcome. I guess a follow-up from that is, do you think that there's any elements of the FX market that make it uniquely hard to navigate some of these regulatory changes and have this perspective? And I'll kind of tell you what I'm thinking about a little bit there. I mean, 
Firstly, it's just such a huge market, right? 6.6 trillion per day at the last BIS survey number. Uh, it's stubbornly OTC in a lot of places, which doesn't always lend itself to visibility. It's not like equities where there's very clear pools of liquidity. It's massively fragmented. And then you also have just an incredible diversity of participants in this market every day. You know, as you think about kind of marrying this practitioner view with this kind of more traditional legal view, are there challenges that, that are unique to FX on this front? Absolutely. You've picked out a couple, but there are three that I would really focus on here. So the first is that FX, foreign exchange, is cross-border by definition. And therefore, you are always talking about people in different jurisdictions. You're talking about products in terms of currencies that are regulated in different jurisdictions. And so you've got effectively already multiple different lenses looking at any given transaction. You then have the diversity of participants, as you said, and FX is the foundation of the global economy. It is what the global provision of trade and services is built on. And therefore, all of these actors come into the market because they have foreign exchange risk to manage. And therefore, it's not a centralized marketplace. It's a decentralized marketplace because rightly, market forces have involved it to be able to be accessible as possible to the people who need to transact at foreign exchange, which brings me on to the third point. I always think it's useful in FX to think about the end users in FX sort of falling into two camps. Those who wish the world was single currency denominated when they're having to go in and transact FX, and those who are glad that it's not, because the reason they're in the seat there are is because there are multiple currencies. As you look at how the market has evolved over the last 10 or so years, you've got this greater and greater predominance of people who in their business activity, frankly, wish that the world was single currency denominated. It would be easier for multinational corporates to work across jurisdictions if there was a single global currency. It would be easier for asset managers who at the moment have to manage investors who come in with one currency and want to invest in bonds and equities in a second currency. But the challenge from a regulatory and a conduct framework is if people almost say at CFX as a kind of an operational process as a cost, as something that is peripheral to what they're actually trying to do. And I am not criticizing those people at all. But when it is by its nature peripheral, it makes it harder to get everyone's engagement and actually everyone's interest. You and I are massively interested in how foreign exchange. Right. Uh, that's why we're sat here having this conversation. But it's not fair of us to expect every portfolio manager at an asset manager is investing in bonds and equities to feel the same, or the treasurer at a multinational corporate to feel the same, because they've got their businesses to run. And that in itself creates an additional challenge in terms of how do we weigh up that focus on making the markets fair and effective with the fact that these users really need great commercial outcomes as well. Post-financial crisis, we had this wave of regulation. It wasn't really targeted at FX, but FX kind of got caught up in it. And I always thought it's interesting because people talk about FX being an unregulated market, which to me always seemed at odds with the, you know, we've seen some pretty hefty fines leveled at people from the FX market over the last decade. So, but with the majority of Dodd-Frank regulations now in place, the biggest chunk of MIFID II is kind of implemented in here. Last year, there seemed to be something of a hiatus on new rules and requirements because of COVID-19. So do you think more broadly, we're looking at a bit of a pause in new rules and regulations? 
Or do you think the direction of travel is still very much more towards a more regulated trading environment in FX? So I think it's towards a more regulated environment. You're not going to be surprised that I say next. I think it's towards a, an ever fairer and more effective <laughs> in the sense that this understanding that regulation in itself and a prescriptive approach doesn't lead to better outcomes for people who need to access FX markets. So regulation has an important role to play, but it's not the end goal in itself. And in terms of where we're going from here, I think there are four things that I'd really pick out. I think we're seeing regulation being refreshed. So we've seen updates to the Volcker rule. We're seeing updates to trade reporting regulation. And in many ways, those updates are positive. And effectively, it's the market, both the authorities and the participants in it, sort of learning from those sort of big structural regulatory changes of the last five to 10 years. But equally, when we talk to other market participants, it's readily apparent that change is still cost. You may maybe lead it getting to framework that people are more comfortable with going forward. But any change in the framework is additional cost and sort of change dollars that need to be spent. The second piece I'd pick out is capital and margin rules. So as a rightly and understandably, the timetable for introducing those rules post-crisis has been slower to allow more time for adoption and obviously hitting deeper in to the buy side and user market with some of those changes. But they're going to continue to hit over the next few years. And some of those changes have some potentially really quite powerful changes to how FX transacts and therefore the the market structure and therefore effectively what needs to be done in terms of to ensure back to that that's the central thing I keep saying about a fair and effective marketplace for all and it sort of builds into the fact that markets continuously evolve if you look at what all market participants are doing at bit venues such as 360T uh, large dealers asset managers and so on They are looking, constantly looking at ways that markets can innovate and can be more effective for them and their stakeholders. So you're going to keep seeing that evolution, and that's a good thing. I think there is a real potential that we see more innovation in the next five to 10 years as some of the changes in technology, sort of more broadly, sort of financial markets catch up with them because financial markets have spent a lot of the last five, 10 years dealing with these big structural pieces of regulation they're talking about. There's a real opportunity now maybe for a little bit of the sort of innovation catch up in the next period of time. But that evolution will mean a sort of continuing sort of focused journey, changes to regulation, new conduct principles and so on. And then I think the final thing that I'd say is an extension of reach with things like the global codes and the hope beginning to see more adoption on the buy side, so beyond the sell side within the global code. And also some of the things around best execution, getting deeper into the buy side. And really, be it from the regulation directly or also just the expectation of asset managers, we're talking about people who want to invest in an FX as a cost, but actually what best execution regulation gives you as a mindset is actually I need to understand that cost. I need to understand where it's coming from. I need to understand, am I managing my foreign exchange risk as effectively as I should be to get the best return for my investors? And I think that change in mindset 
again, is the other kind of take sort of continuing factor that we'll continue to see in 2021 and going forward. We kind of referenced the pandemic there. I want to drill down on that a little bit. Does the pandemic change anything in terms of how both regulators and market participants are thinking about best practices? Because it seems to me that broadly the FX industry has coped very well with kind of a, a rather unique situation. But you know, I've heard lots of stories of kind of interesting edge cases. You know, whether it's you know people who who live together and ones on the buy side and ones on the sell side trying to trade out of the same geographic location and so forth. So do you think that this has changed any perspectives on best practices in the industry? I don't think it's, it's necessarily changed. Or I don't think and it's, it, it's necessarily made people rethink what they were thinking before. And the initial reports of the FCS said is that suspicious transaction reporting, which is just one performance indicator, and let's see, it's far too early to judge what the final outcome will necessarily be. But at this point, and you look at, say, Q2 2020, there doesn't appear to have been worse conduct outcomes in FX or fit markets generally in that period of time. As you look out across kind of the FX industry, do you see, uh, in terms of kind of conduct and best practices, do you see um, greater scrutiny coming down on different product sets? I'm going to come back to that point we were talking about, about people who want the world to be single currency dominated and people don't. One of the things that we've all seen in the FX market with the increase in the role of asset managers and particularly asset managers managing huge passive portfolios is their currency hedging requirements and the impact that's had on the FX forwards and swaps market. At the same time as maybe just naturally through the progress of an evolution of technology and regulation, that the FX forwards and swaps market potentially right for more automation. And obviously, 360T have launched the mid-match products. And this podcast couldn't be published unless I mentioned it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I get that in. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it so I didn't have to bring it up. <laughs> but it's exactly the kind of innovation that, that market participants in the FX forwards and swaps market are looking for. And uh, Alan, you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. <laughs> I booking my name. <laughs> in all seriousness, there is an appetite in the market for those kind of things. The last thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, we talk about how you know, technology has already changed the FX market dramatically, will continue to do so, particularly as it becomes applied to new product set. We see, you know, more algo trading, et cetera. And so I'm curious if you see areas of technology that are drawing attention or sparking conversation with the people you work with. I mean, I think we've seen this on the equity side in particular, right, where the unintended consequences of technology has sprung new concerns. Do you see similar type of scenarios in FX? In terms of exactly the same as as equities, not necessarily, because we're not going to move away from the fact where FX is the bedrock of the global economy and that diversification of participants and needs, I think there's less of a risk of losing that vibrant marketplace. What I would say in terms of technology and this shift to people dealing with foreign exchange as a cost is that increasingly you are seeing, and I think this will only increase further, people looking at FX from an end-to-end basis. So my cost of FX isn't the spread that I paid on a particular transaction. It's not even marking that transaction to the benchmark that I choose from a transaction cost analysis point of view. 
it is what is the difference in terms of what I've effectively paid for my investment to then having got it into the currency that I'm into. That includes the systems and includes the whole infrastructure. And people looking at FX in that kind of end-to-end cost way in terms of, to give you an example, you can execute in a particular way and you can save half a basis point on all your FX transactions. But if you've hired three more ops people to be able to process those transactions because they don't come down the electronic pipe they used to, that's wiped out your half basis point probably and probably quite a lot more. So it's really thinking about FX as an end-to-end solution in terms of not just about how do you execute, but how do you assess your risk exposure? How do you determine how you're netting between different exposures? What's your timing in terms of your execution? And then you kind of get into choosing your protocol and choosing your provider or set of providers. And those things are important. But then it's part of that picture, which is topped by the assessment and finished by the second round of assessment. Actually, have I done? How much has this cost me all in? And what can I do to continuously improve the way we execute FX? And we're certainly having more and more conversations with people who are looking at FX holistically And technology, not just as an execution solution, but as an end-to-end, how do I improve the way I access FX? And I was talking to someone in the last couple of days, look, this is not even just an execution and cost thing. I'm looking at, can I set up a way of doing this that not only reduces my cost, but also gives me more comfort in terms of how I'm engaging with the FX market and my adherence to the global codes and participation in the market more broadly as well. I think that's a really good point. And I think for clients generally, they're beginning to see really big benefits from this mindset shift away from cost of execution to overall cost of trading. How much is it costing me to get this FX done? Yeah, absolutely. Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. Some really great points. And as I said, we'll have to have you back on the podcast sometime. I'd love to come back, Alan. It's been a pleasure um, and look forward to speaking to you soon. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening and please do join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.